Buying into a strata complex or multi-owned building requires a lot more due diligence than most people realise. It's usually a classic case of you don't know what you don't know until you move in and start to learn about how the complex is managed, where the building issues are and how the community itself functions. It doesn't take long for many owners to realise that there was a whole lot more that they could have uncovered before they bought if only they knew what to look for. What a lot of property buyers don't know is that there is only a small amount of information that the vendor is required by law to tell prospective purchasers and the level of disclosure varies markedly between different states and territories. So it's no wonder that purchasers commit to a property knowing only a fraction of what they really need to know in order to make an informed decision. Scary, hey? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as download our free full or forecast report, which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au Today we've invited Strata Lawyer and host of your Strata Property Podcast, Amanda Farmer, to discuss the things that apartment, townhouse and villa unit owners need to know before they buy. Amanda has been on this podcast three times, I think, previously, at least three times anyway, and we've discussed some juicy topics before, including pet legislation and the huge liability that all strata owners have, and yet most don't realise. Uh, we'll include the links to those episodes in the show notes. But recently, Amanda surveyed her audience and asked them the question, what do you wish you'd known before you bought? And we thought this would reveal some valuable insights to our audience. So, Amanda, thanks for coming along. It's really great to see you again. My pleasure. Thank you for having me back. Oh, Amanda, I mean, it's pretty similar to what we like to, uh, the, you know, I guess what our podcast started by is, you know, let's learn from the mistakes of others. Let's learn from this. Let's get the, share the information out there and, and educate people. And so, I guess when people realize that, you know, they've made a mistake is years down the line, they go, oh, God, I wish I knew that before I bought. So what were some of the things that you really found out in your survey? And was there any big surprises, I guess, where um, you didn't think people, you know, assume people knew that? Yeah, I was asking this question ahead of a presentation that I was delivering to a room full of conveyances. So I've done that a few times over the years. I've been brought in to educate conveyances, the people who are advising on the contracts who are very often the first professionals that yeah. our purchasers are talking to about strata issues, about their rights, about their obligations. And it has been quite shocking to me that our conveyances really have had very limited, if any, knowledge about strata and community title law. And that's why we're seeing a lot of people buying into the apartment lifestyle, having no idea what they're getting themselves into. And as you said, Veronica, having to just pick it up along the way. So when I deliver my education, I want to make sure it's as relevant as possible. So I thought instead of asking the conveyances, what would you like to know? I asked their clients, the purchasers, who are some years down the track, what do you wish you would have been told? And yeah, Chris, there were some surprising answers to that. One of the answers was, I wish I had found out the percentage of owner occupiers versus tenants. 
<laughs> yeah. It's a funny one. That right? was my, not one um, I expected. Yeah, my sister is by the moment of truth. Should I share all this information or not? Um, and it's small block of units. Um, probably not going to buy these block of units, so it doesn't really matter to be honest. But four units, eastern suburbs, agent says, all owner-occupier. And, and my, my sister takes it on face value. Uh, anyway, I do a quick search online. Oh, one's been rented last year, you know. Bang. Oh, it's the same agency. Um, and so the same <laughs> McGrath in this situation had was telling the my sister, it's all owner-occupiers, but it's clear one of the four is a renter and they've even got the rental agreement for it. So, you know, that's something that, you know, it's very interesting to know, but you can't read that, take that on face value, right? You've got to do your own due diligence with all these things. Absolutely right. Yes. So don't take the agent's word for it. Where you can find that information is in the strata role. And that ah. is a document. It is a legal document that the, the owner's corporation or the body corporate, as we might know it, must keep. It's a list. It is literally a role, a list of everybody's names and contact details for the, the owners and the occupiers in the building. Now, the strata role, if you're an owner-occupier, will list generally, it's, it's not an exact science, but generally it will have your name as the owner and then it will have the property address as your address for service. And then you think you can be pretty sure right. that that is an owner-occupier. Where you get a strata role and you see a lot of agents listed and also on the strata role, the name of the tenant needs to be listed as well. So you'll see an owner name, an agency, a tenant name, then you know that those are the lots, the, the units that are occupied by tenants. And you get the strata role from the strata manager. And we can and talk a bit about that if we need to. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because it may or may not be in the strata report because there's no real set prescribed documents as to what needs to be in a strata report. And of course, that begs a question, which will, I'll be interested in your answer on this one, uh, Amanda. I think a few people will be interested in your answer. So the strata role contains names and numbers and email addresses and postal addresses. Uh, is it legal to give away that information? Isn't that someone's privacy? And, and under what circumstances can the strata manager give that information away? Yeah, great question. So owners are entitled to access a strata role, the strata role for their building. If you're an owner under our strata law in New South Wales, and it's pretty much the same across the country, you have a right to access the strata role. Owners can authorise anyone else to access the strata role. So if you've got a written authority, it's generally a letter signed by the owner saying, yes, I allow this potential purchaser or their agent or their lawyer to access the strata role, then yes, you need to that person is able to get access. Now, I can say that and I can say that's what the law is, but <laughs> almost every day I am contacted either by email or by members in my community or on Facebook saying, Amanda, we understand this is the law, but the strata manager says no, they won't give us these details. And that is incredibly frustrating because to say that these are private details that there are privacy laws that apply that no i can't give you this information it is just wrong it is wrong and we have cases that have gone through our tribunal and our courts that say that it's very clear that an owner and their authorized rep representative can access the books and records which includes the entire strata role and so given that you might encounter a bit of trouble if you're trying to ask for this information and you're trying to convince somebody that actually, yes, they, they can give it to you, the right authorisation, et cetera, et cetera, there is a little hack that you can use, buyers, if you're looking, and that is you can go into 
on property portals such as domain.com.au and also realestate.com.au, there's the property listing. So that's the listing where they've got it for sale. And there's also a property page. Each property has a page in that portal and there's a history in there. It may not be completely 100% accurate, but it's say 90 odd percent of the time. And in the history there, you can see when it's been uh, sold and also when it's been offered for rent. So that can be a little hack if you are struggling to get access to that information via the regular channels. What's another question that people mm. or a piece of information they wish they'd known? Yes. A, another area that was lacking in education for our, our purchasers when I asked them was that they wish they'd known the priority that the building was placing on repair and maintenance. Ooh. Now, this is something that often you don't feel the impact of until you're some way down the track to owning an apartment. Yeah. Too often, I think our purchasers go in and look for low levies and mm. <laughs> don't want to buy into buildings that have high levies. Yeah. But the message that I really want to sheet home to your listeners today is that low levies are not yep. necessarily a good thing. Absolutely. And it may be a sign that this building does not have a focus, does not prioritise repairs and maintenance of the common property. So so in this, yeah, I mean, it, it sort of goes, oh, I want something, they only got $700 uh, a quarter, right? And then you know, how much is in the sinking fund or what's, how much work does need to be done to the building? And, you know, is that all of a sudden going to change? You know, a lot of people think it's fixed, right? There's uh, so much education there. But when that order priority, you know, that sort of catch you out, right? If you think that, oh, there's some building issues, but... They put all their focus on the common area uh, and there's issues with the, the windows and they're so far down. And you really want your windows changed. But everyone's like, well, no, 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 we've got to do all these other works first. Um, I know you want new windows, but it's not that uh, important to us all. Is that sort of where those sort of stories or is it get a bit more deeper than that where it might be water issues or something? Like what's your, what sort of yeah. experiences? Um, often people are not aware of or thinking about or even caring about repair and maintenance issues until it affects them and their mm. apartment. And mm. the windows are a really good example because that's where we say, all right, well, I'm on level four and it's an eight level building and the roof might be leaking, but that's not really bothering me. It's just bothering those <laughs> lovely penthouse owners up the top there. But the minute that rain starts coming in sideways, which it has been doing a lot in Sydney lately, and my windows start leaking, I want them fixed. And the law is very clear, it's very well settled in this area that an owner's corporation, a body corporate must repair and maintain the common property. There's no excuses for not doing it. It is actually a situation where the minute it becomes clear that there's something wrong with those windows, that the water's coming in and they're not fit for purpose, they have to be fixed. It doesn't matter that there's another priority. It doesn't matter that there's not enough money. They have to be fixed and they have to be fixed now. So that's where we see things like special levies having to be raised. We see people suffering because the water is coming in and mm. it takes time to raise this money and to get contractors to site and to get the job done. And if you're in a community, if you've bought into a community that has a history of ignoring these issues, of perhaps they were told 10 years ago that the windows need to be done in 2022 and they ignored that advice yep. and there's no money saved up for that. These are the kinds of things that you can see if you have a close look at the books and records. You can see the communities that are falling behind on their 10-year their Capital Works Fund plans and we do mm. by law have to have those plans. Um, 
those plans will have a recommendation for what the capital works fund or the sinking fund as we used to know it should have in it by a certain date and you can match that up to what's mm. actually sitting in the financials and i have to say i very rarely see buildings that where the capital works fund plan matches the actual funds in the account it, it is an interesting one isn't it because there's something that we check and and i love the idea that it's mandatory to have one of these uh, reports done. It's mandatory to update them every five years, but it's not mandatory to follow them. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> it is a gaping hole in our legislation. It's something that I've spoken about in the past where we need to have our legislation changed to make it mandatory for buildings to comply with these plans. Otherwise, what's the point? It's, it's just too easy to... Keep levies low. There's huge pressure. Look, I own an apartment. I go to my AGM. I'm the secretary. I'm often the one there trying to convince people, actually, no, we need to be putting mm -hmm. this money aside. And owners in my building are saying, but Amanda, our levies should be going down, shouldn't they? Mm -hmm. We've got enough money or we, we, mm -hmm. we have the most expensive levies in this street or in this suburb. And that's said with some embarrassment. Look, I, I think you should be proud if you, if you have money in the bank, you're planning, you're meeting your legal duties as an owner's corporation, that would be a building that I'd be happy to buy into. Yeah, it's I mean, I've got um, just a story there, though, a client of mine, um, you know, pretty horrible story, really. I mean, bought a cracking apartment in the eastern suburbs on the 10, right? Um, you know, harbour views, great design, not too many in the apartment, um, but there's water issues and it affects her apartment in particular. And um, this has been on her for two years now, mm. uh, massive internal fighting in the building. She can't sell it because it's very all publicised. She's got it all in all the reports. Um, she just wants to get out. She's like, but she can't sell it. She's stuck. She tried, but she can't sell it. She just gets the water fixed. So this is going on and, the, you know, the mental impact of all these things is, is, is huge. And so this is why it matters. It's not so much, yeah, you've got to fix these things, but there's actually a lot of work and stress that goes into fixing that, mm. um, which could have been, I mean, that might not have been solved in her situation because it wasn't really in the, you know, maybe she couldn't have found that information prior. But, you know, these are stressful things. Even the client this morning, you know, you know, a townhouse in the western suburbs of Sydney, I can't sell it right now. We've got a huge defects thing. We haven't awarded contracts. Um, you know, so it's going to take us three, four months. I've been working on this for three years, he said, to you know, get everyone on board. Um, mm. And so, you know, by the time he gets this, you know, potentially getting this sorted next year, he might have missed the opportunity to upgrade, right? Um and so finally gets they finally get things sorted. So these are real life stories on the back of these and why it's so important to deal with these things up front. What was sort of the third thing? I mean, if that another big thing that they sort of spoke about. Another big thing was bylaws. And not not just what are the bylaws and and what are the rules that I need to comply with, what can and I and can't I do, but whether this community that I'm buying into actually cares about its bylaws and enforces those bylaws. Mm. So a lot of what I deal with day in, day out is bylaw breaches, by which I mean noise complaints. That That's a common one. My neighbour upstairs is noisy. They've got hard floors and they have parties till late at night and they clomp around up there. And often you'll find that this is something that's been going on for a couple of years. And the reason that the person below has sold and sold to this poor unsuspecting purchaser right. is because the building hasn't involved itself hasn't taken steps to enforce its bylaws and to do anything about that problem. So while it's it's 
not necessarily a great sign if you see lots of litigation going on in the building and lots of tribunal applications and people suing the owners corporation. I think if you see nothing in the way of letters being sent, uh, notices to comply, we call them when there's bylaw breaches, it's quite possible that you have a, a disengaged committee and maybe mm. a, a community that just lets everyone do whatever they want. And that's the other extreme. It's interesting that sort of knife edge you've got to be on, isn't it? I mean, you're saying it's like you don't want it that, that the rules are so tight and you've got basically you, it's, it's a police state. Um, but at the other end of it, you don't want it to be total anarchy either. And um, I guess there's certain signs, you know, this everyone's got washing all over the balconies. And, you know, there's some giveaways about that. But noise is a particularly interesting one. I was looking at an apartment actually with a friend and it, all the apartments are tiled, all the floors are tiled. Well, I wonder how noisy it is. And and my friend says, well, you know, I couldn't hear anything when I was in there. I said, but there may not have been anyone upstairs at home. And also they may not have been wearing their high heels that they do when they come home from work on a, on a week. Not, who knows? I mean. And you, and you also weren't lying in bed listening to them. No, <laughs> exactly. And so I don't even know how you find that out. Like, I mean, and I know how you find a lot of things out in buildings. It's like I thought, well, how do we find out what building material is used and whether, whether there's insulation and I don't know. It might be discoverable. It may not, you know. And I guess there's a lot of things that, that you know what you don't know and, and there are obvious paths to find the information and there are others sometimes you just have to actually just hope, don't you? Yeah, look, once again, searching the records and I always recommend doing your own search. So asking the agent, look, if the vendor really wants to sell this property, they're going to give you that authority to search the records. If they don't, I think you've got those alarm bells ringing mm. already. If they don't give you the authority to search the records, they've probably got something to hide. Uh, and instead of relying on the strata report that's given to you by the agent, which I always say is the vendor's report, they've prepared that in mm. the way they want to deliver it, going and looking through the records yourself or engaging a strata lawyer to do it, that is an investment, but you'll know that you'll get a thorough search. But there's no reason why you can't do it yourself. And to be looking at the correspondence, not so you're not just looking, okay, there's the insurance, there's the financials, mm. there's the minutes of the meeting. Look at the correspondence, the emails that are passing back and forth between the strata manager, the tenants, the residents, the committee members. Read through some of the recent discussion that's been going on because that's where you pick up little things like, oh, yeah, you know, Unit 28's dumping their crap in the garbage room again and Unit 7 had that wild party. This is the fourth one that they've had, you know. Down, unit 4 below is constantly complaining, oh, oh, then if that's the apartment that you're looking to purchase, then you're alert to that. Yeah, and so when you say, I oh, just want engaging a strata law, like a a lot of people don't understand how much that would maybe cost. You know, what, what would that cost just to, you know, look at a strata report in detail? Well, like any lawyers, we like to charge based on hourly rates. And I think your strata lawyers in Sydney would be charging anywhere between $400 and $700 an hour um, at the upper end. And it is, it is expensive. We are still, surprisingly to me, a rare breed. And that's why some of us can charge those higher rates. We're in demand. I can I can still count on one hand probably the top strata lawyers in Sydney. There are there are few property lawyers for whatever reason who decide to specialize in this interesting area. Um, but we do have there are strata searchers. There are professionals who 
that is their job to go out and search through books and records. I just, I, I do hesitate to recommend that. Veronica would have seen this with her purchaser clients that those reports are often very thin when yes. they hit your desk. Yeah, they and are. And they often raise more questions than they do answers. Yeah, we look for the holes and then can we fill in the holes? And that's, yeah. So she's saying what, maybe a couple of hours of work, you know, sort of. It depends on the building, Chris. Yeah, it depends mm. on how big that file is. The building yeah. may be two years old, so we don't have many records. The building might be 30 or 40 years old, so there's a lot to work through. And the strata manager, who is the custodian of the records, that professional who's holding those records, may not produce all of them the first time around. So I may, be, I may get everything except the strata role and the emails. So I'll be saying, well, they're the two things I really want to see. So Mr. or Ms. Strata Manager, I'm going to come back uh, the next day. Please make sure that those records are in the file. And it's still not online, is it? I mean, I find that astounding in this day and age, particularly after lockdowns, that, you know, that they haven't really embraced a widespread, um, you know, digital record keeping. One thing you said at the outset of this conversation, Amanda, which was a bit alarming, was that you were presenting to a room full of conveyances who most of them appear to, you know, a lot of this stuff is news to them. And and I think this is very important. I mean, we talk to, you know, with our clients, we obviously want to make sure that they're using property specialists, whether they're using a lawyer or a conveyancer. Um, conveyances are separate Thing for I'll tackle that in a sec. But if they're using a lawyer, we want them to use an accredited property specialist. If they're using it, if we're buying strata, we want them to use somebody who actually specialises in strata. Um, with conveyances, there's there's your cut price, you know, um, budget conveyances right through to you know some amazing one conveyance that you recommended to us, who who is very detailed, very experienced, and so you can get this huge continuum and these people all specialize in in property because that's what conveyancing is however um i guess what you're suggesting is that a lot of them have very little exposure and understanding of specifically what's involved and what they need to be checking with strata and before you sort of comment on that the next thing that i have really realized is that there's this because effectively there's two stages in the conveyancing process and not always are those two stages covered off by the conveyancer. When I say two stages, there's the first bit is advice on the contract. In New South Wales, you have a contract of sale and there's certain information in that contract. Um, in, in Queensland, there's not really, you know, there's very little disclosed um, in, and different jurisdictions, there's uh, different levels of disclosure, right? So getting advice on whatever's disclosed and then whatever's missing and needs to be disclosed or, or, or discovered before you commit to a property is a very incredibly important part of the conveyancing process. Yet a lot of those cut price conveyances won't do that. They'll just basically deal with what's called the actual conveyancing of title, right, after you've committed to the property. And I think it's quite important that we sort of distinguish those two things and really show that the first part is probably more important than the second part. Mm, yes, I agree 100%. It is so important before you, as a purchaser, sign that contract, get advice on the contract. And 
I think there's two things going on here. I, I think sometimes purchasers don't realize that that's mm. a thing that they should be doing. They're so excited about the property. They're, the agent's constantly on the phone to them. There's someone else who's about to come in and sign. They're getting their deposit together. Maybe they're going to an auction and they don't realize that in the, the, the days, if possible, the weeks before that, that's the time to be getting advice on the terms of the contract because changes can be made to the contract. You can find out more information from your advisor, especially if it's a a strata building you can take the opportunity to go and get some specialist advice um, now that I'm doing more education with conveyances I'm often getting calls to say Amanda I've got a client this looks like a complex scheme I'm advising them on the contract but can they come and spend an hour with you going through the strata issues and they're now recommending that to their clients because they know that I exist and they know about the importance of getting that specialized advice um, the the trouble with we can say all of that and that's great and we can aim for all of that but I also hear from conveyances, Amanda, they're coming to me on Monday morning having signed the contract yes. on the weekend. And they're saying, oh, look, I signed this contract purchasing this property. Will you do the conveyancing? And the conveyancer says, great, but I wish you would have come to me because there's this horrible clause in here that I could have got rid of before you signed it. Yes, and, and the, the thing is that in New South Wales, you can sign with a cooling off period, you can sign and, and the agent can take you in their office and you can sign and you go, oh, it's fine, i got five days to cool off. It's like with penalty if you do cool off. But you're assuming you can make changes to that contract in that time and actually that's not true. I mean, you might be able to, but probably if they're not advantageous to the owner and there's no reason for them to change, why would they? You already signed. Mm. So, And you've yeah. also had that mindset shift, I think. Yeah. I, I don't think I've, I've mm. ever seen anybody rescind in a cooling off period. Um but you've had that mindset shift that I'm committed. And even the, the little things that should be big things are, are, are written off as little things. Oh, well, that's okay. I can live yeah. with that. But if it was yes. a week before. <laughs> that's exactly what's going through my day. brain, Amanda. Um, just in the last few months, I can think of three cases where clients have come, even one this week. Um, and I have to support this property. Um, and, you know, they haven't consulted us what they're doing or, you know, they've bought an investment property. They've been thinking about it. Um, even one last week. Um, well, they haven't come to us because they know they're not going to think it's a great property. Um, so they've all of a sudden just gone and bought it. Um, and I sort of try to jump in there and have it got cooling off and, and try my best to convince them not to go ahead with it and they can do better than that. Um, and it's extremely difficult because you're right, they've made that mental decision to do it. They've, you know, promised the agent, they've signed it. The sort of having to go back on that is a big thing for them. Um, and to convince their partner who maybe wanted it more than them to, you know, go against it. So... Um, I think you're right. Once you've signed that contract, it's very hard for people to make that mental shift to get new information because the confirmation bias is in there. She'll be right. I've already done it. Let's just go ahead with it. We can always buy another one, et cetera. Um, <laughs> and uh, that that thinking. So what's another thing? Because I think it's really fascinating because, mm. you know, that's why we do the Dumbo of the Week story. Um, we forgot to do one with um, with Matt and Veronica. But, um, you know, what was another thing that we uh, you learned from those reports? Another thing that was a surprise to me, but I thought was a really good point was someone said to me, Amanda, I would have looked closely at how long the strata committee members had held their positions. Mm. So do we have a, I'll put it this way, a rusted on strata committee, the same owners, the same group of people have been in those positions for the last 10 years 
They don't like to give them up. It's a, it's a large building, but somehow they keep the same people getting, elect, keep getting elected year after year. Uh, or do we have some change, some vibrancy, some opportunity for different opinions, some new ideas? And once again, this is something that's been said by someone who's had some years of experience in a community that just can't get new projects across the line, can't get their voice heard, doesn't feel that they're being represented because they have this rusted on community. Wow. Mm. Mm. Yeah, very interesting, that one. I've and seen is that in the Strata Report? Reports. Where would you find that? I mean, that was these are the, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the Strata Committee, for those who might not be familiar, that, that if you think of a, a Strata building like a company and everyone is a, a shareholder in the company, that's the, the members of the owner's corporation, every owner is a member of the owner's corporation, just like a shareholder in a company. And then you have your board of directors. So you have this smaller group of elected representatives. That's the strata committee. You can have up to nine people in New South Wales on a strata committee. So anywhere from one person to nine people can be on your strata committee. And then they have the office bearer positions within the strata committee. That's your chairperson, your secretary, your treasurer. And the strata committee has an immense amount of power mm. in strata. A lot of people don't realize this. They make the day-to-day -day decisions. They make repair and maintenance decisions. They communicate with the strata manager. They often have delegated authority to approve renovation work, to approve your pet application. So they, they have a lot of power. They, they call meetings or they don't call meetings if they don't want to. They issue the, the minutes, the agendas. So the committee vacates its position at every annual general meeting and then a new committee gets elected at every annual general meeting. So the minutes of each AGM is the place for you to have a look at to track through who's getting elected each year and is it the same people every year. And there can be a problem with changing all the time too as well because no one cares enough to stay there. Um, but, yeah, it's like everything, got to get that balance. But that is so interesting because I have seen buildings where basically it's run like I think I've we've had this discussion before, like a cartel, you know, and, and it's very clicky and you can't get in and they've already established the protocols for how everything runs in this joint. That's how we do it here. Don't you come in here starting to ruffle feathers. No, we will not be upgrading the foyer. No, we will be not increasing our levies to, you know, to accommodate for the sinking, uh, the capital works fund, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's a really important thing. And I guess the thing too is that, like you say, the people that raise these are things that they wish they'd known. It comes back to that. Now we know what we didn't know. Now we're in there. We see the impact of not having this vibrancy. You know, we're stuck. And, you know, and I think that's the other thing too. When you, when you buy a property, it's, I often say it's like you go through a turnstile into a, into a stadium, right? You've gone through, it's a one way. You're in the stadium and you can get out, but you've got to go quite a long way to the other exit and, you you know, you get out. <laughs> but once you're in, you can see where you came from, but you can't go back there. And that's what buying a property is like. It's like, oh, I'm in now. <laughs> oh, well, it's such a great analogy for, for apartment living as well because, yes, you're in the stadium and you're in there with all these other people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be careful not to bump into and you have to get along with and you have to take into account what they think and it's a democratic process so the majority rules too bad if the majority doesn't think the way that you do um, that is a overarching as something that I, I, I hope people 
understand or are coming to understand about apartment living is that you are buying into a community. This is collective mm. living. That is the key difference between purchasing a freestanding home and buying into uh, strata or community title of some sort. You have co-ownership of property. You have co-responsibilities. It is absolutely, I mean, it sounds like a hippie commune, but yeah, it's collective living. If you like what you're hearing here, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars, please. Every review helps make it easier for other people to find us and hear what our amazing guests have to say. We love hearing your questions and we're planning more listener Q&A episodes. Please send your questions in. You can send them via the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au or directly via email to questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. A lot of people obviously are buying in the apartment space is it due to affordability um, and, you know, a lot of that is first-time buyers and a lot of first-time buyers have rented before they're bought. and You know, so there is this sort of, oh, I've rented before, can't be that much big of a jump, you know. Um, there's building issues before. But, uh, you know, when you were renting, you could just always leave, right? Um, or, you you know, and you only live, rented for a year in that building. That building was fine. So there's this all this... I guess overconfidence when they start to buy is that I've rented, um, it's going to be the same as that, you know, maybe I've got to pay a levy, but they don't think through all the other challenges they have um, with ownership. I think that's a, it's a big jump to make, um, especially even when you're investing as well. Like a lot of people think, oh, it's just invest units are obviously big for investors. A lot of investors think, oh, well, it's all right. The strata takes care of that. Well, no, that's if they are <laughs> taking care of it, but um, that's, that's assuming they are. So what are some other things that you sort of found? I think these are really fascinating. Oh, just on that point about being an investor, I think a real a key point to understand is as an investor, you don't have control over your own money necessarily in a strata building. Mm. So if you've invested in a freestanding home, it's up to you when you spend money on fixing the roof or adding yep. the driveway or whatever it is you want to do, or even to add value if you want to extend, add a room, do a bathroom, do that in your own time, in your own way not at all the case in an apartment building. If there's going to be $200,000 special levy because the, the guy in the penthouse mm. is suing the owner's corporation, even if it's spurious, you're going to have to contribute to that because you are a member of the owner's corporation and that's what collective living is all about. So thinking that strata is easy or, uh, and, I, and you know, I, I always end these chats with you saying, look, <laughs> I, I'm a, I, I believe in apartment investing and I, and I support it. I do it myself and I don't want to turn anybody off, but I, I'm educated and I'm making sure that I know what I'm going into with my eyes open and that's what I, I hope to share with everyone else, investors and owner-occupiers alike. It's that interesting that because, I mean, when you have a well-run building, I say that that's brilliant for an investor because you effectively you've got your property manager and you've got a strata manager and there's two layers of management between you and the actual you know property and that is a really nice place to be when you're an investor and you're a set and forget investor and more so than even a house i mean i've got an investment apartment i've got a house like there's there's a different level of involvement for me in, in both of those two properties um so so it can work extremely well but you've got to know so that you've made the selection right in the first place <laughs> you've got yourself one of those buildings of course so sorry chris what were we going to say there well i was just going to ask you in terms of we're starting to see um you know, frustrations or fears around, um, you know, older buildings and doing repairs and maintenance and renovations and um, the cost of doing that um, and the time. 
Uh, so it's turning a lot of buyers off and, and also the price, to be honest, um, you know, to get into these. And then they look at the current amount, the stock on the market, the new properties that have been built in the last 20 years, and they say, look, I don't really want to buy any of those. Um, a, because they're, you know, they don't look great, you know, they're aging, building issues, um, et cetera. Uh, and then they see these really beautiful renders of and the rend and the all the things that these new builds are offering, um, and they're getting better. I think you know in terms of the floor sizes, the appeal, um, the materials, the sustainability, the the pitch, um, and so we're starting to see more and more people come to us and say, "Oh, should I, I really like this off the plan development." What were some of the things that you know? your i guess your research your survey said that in particular for people that bought new property what did they wish they sort of knew they before they bought mm. look with the new developments i i'm thinking of a client meeting that i had last week where someone had bought in i think the development's a couple of years old and the way that the development has been structured means that uh, they own in one strata building that is part of a larger community yep. and the rest of the community includes, I think, um, two blocks of commercial lots and a car park, I think it is. And those four entities, the residential strata building, the two blocks of commercial and the car park, uh, all make up a super community, I'm going to call it, which we call a, a building management committee. And the building management committee makes decisions about the, the broader community facilities and um, swimming pools and playgrounds and parks. And the person who has bought into the residential strata building is starting to realise, hang on a second, the two other commercial blocks and the car park are still owned by the original developer. And at our super community level, at our building management committee level, that developer has all the say because they own three out of four of those those blocks, if you like. Wow, yeah. And Amanda, I'm, I'm being told, Amanda, the developer, of course, doesn't want to spend any money on maintaining the pool that we all share or the park or the playground or indeed the car park. And we're all using that and all of our residents are using that, but we can't do anything to wow. force them to do anything about it, absent litigation, because we're just one little 25% of this super community. So yeah, new development's great, but the, the developers are getting a, a little more savvy about how to set these up in such a way that the, the poor residential owners, and I'd say that because they're, they're the mums, dads, families who are buying in often their first property, not understanding the structure, the legal structure that's in place and how that impacts day-to-day decision-making. Or even just making that assumption that, that all the commercial lots will be sold as well and just not even thinking that it's possible that, that the developer would retain such a large proportion mm. of, you know, the building. But that can happen too in residential, can't it? In, in pure residential where developers will retain a certain percentage, they may not have the majority share, but they may then get all these proxy votes and um, um, still dominate the uh, the um the the meetings or the decisions or the owners corporate or the um what do you call it, the executive committee it can happen in when it's just a single building we do have laws actually that will dilute the developer's vote if that's the case and the this is why i think some of these other structures are being developed to avoid that kind <laughs> of situation wow 
Scary. So that is why, and we're back to this point, right? We're back to this point about conveyances who may have very limited knowledge of strata and community title trying to advise a purchaser who's buying into one of these communities with this overarching, whether it's a building management committee or a community association, they may not even pick up that this is part of a larger association. That is something that, that maybe a strata lawyer would pick up or if they if the conveyance had mm. seen something like that before, maybe. Um, but this is something that's not necessarily clear on the face of a contract. There's a, a few and, little signs, but yeah. Well, they're complicated too, aren't they? I mean, when you've got just residential, everyone sort of understands residential, but when you've got actually commercial or, you know, restaurants and mm. different types of commercial and, and the requirements around grease traps and garbage collection and there's just a, a whole nother level of, of um, deliveries and um you know, of administration, but also impost potentially to the residents in a built in a complex. It's like, yeah, it's it's a, a very very complex part of um, part of the property market. I would think. Yes, and and only getting um, more so. I have to say. So, um, have you been paying attention to the uh, the New South Wales mm. Building Commissioners um, activity? And there's a New South Wales Builder Rating System that that is um, being launched. Yeah, look, like everybody else, I, I see Mr. Chandler pop up in the media from time to time. Um, he's been on the my podcast before. We've had a chat about what he's been up to. What I find fascinating at the moment, at the time we're recording this is that there is proposed new legislation for New South Wales which would extend his powers to all residential strata buildings mm. so that he and his uh, authorised officers, which at the moment include the New South Wales Police, could enter any residential apartment building where they believe there has been a failure to repair and maintain the common property in accordance with the current strata law, they can go in and investigate, they can go in and give directions and orders wow. and penalties. So everything that he's doing with the brand new developments and the developers for buildings that are not even yet complete, he's going to be able to do that for our existing and older stock. Yeah, fascinating, um, quite extraordinary, extraordinary powers. Some commentators are calling them draconian. Um, those in the know seem to think these laws will be made and that he will mm. start tackling the, the very worst offenders. And by that, I mean buildings where, you know, we're hearing about mould and people getting sick and not able to live in their apartments because for five years the roof's been leaking and no one's done anything about it. Just horrific. It's very interesting to think that he may be able to extend... I mean, he's a force to be reckoned with, isn't he? I mean, that's there's uh, you got you absolutely take your hat off to him in terms of the the level and the rate of change. Um, and I just do love his LinkedIn posts as well; very educational. Um, <laughs> I mean, punches. that's got to scare the developers, um, you know, because if you're focused on new customers, which every developer is, and their current projects and what's in the works, you know, there's always a forgetting about your existing customers, and that's all your people who bought your past developers and. Uh, developments um and so but they've still got their name on it right it was still a, a a big name developer they've got building issues um and it was always kept under under hush hush because it was never really in the media but you know if david chandler walks in there and then hang on a sec this was your development um so maybe that's what we need you know it's it's that sort of you know really putting the developers names up in lights and saying yeah you can't just get away selling all this new stuff if you don't take consider um care of all your existing your older projects is that sort of 
what you're hoping happens? Yeah, look, like, I mean, I think you're right when you said earlier, Chris, you know, the new stuff that's coming out now, I, I, I think the whole aim of this was consumer confidence. Yeah. And mm. I think that's starting to be restored because we, simply because Chandler's so vocal and he's out there telling us what he's doing. His team is still relatively small, I have to say, compared to the, the problems that we're seeing mm. on the ground. So he's certainly not able to get every building, um, but you hope that this culture yeah. change is what um, causes the, the the shift but as for the existing buildings and you know I, I think about a building that I own in is 40 years old and we're getting to a stage where the lift needs to be replaced and the waterproof membrane on the roof needs to be done and sometimes it's hard to get contractors to come to site mm. to quote for that especially yeah. at the moment everybody's going through this um contractors to come and quote get three different quotes there's owners complaining because it's all taking too long but you're doing the best you can um i would hate to think that that's the kind of building that chandler would then be brought into because somebody makes a mm. complaint a disgruntled yeah. owner makes a complaint and says oh hey over here look they're strictly they're not complying with their legal duty to repair and maintain but they're yeah. taking every reasonable step to try and do so um i hope i would hope that they're not the buildings that he would have his sights on um because i think that would be an extraordinary extension of his powers but we do need something to um assist those owners who whose only other option is to go to the tribunal and spend tens of thousands sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars on legal fees to get an order from the tribunal that their that their building that their owners corporation fixes a leak fixes a roof so that they don't have to live in a moldy wet apartment that that is a big problem that needs to be solved maybe this is the way to do it I think um, also I would imagine that mouldy wet apartment problem is actually a lot more widespread of recent times because of purely due to all the rain that we've had. And I think that that is an issue, of course, um, in strata because it does take a lot longer to, A, get to the bottom of whatever the causes are um, and then go through all the processes that are involved in order to actually get to a point where you're finally getting rectification work to to be um, carried out. So it is, I remember um, interviewing Karen, um, hang on, what's it? Yes, Styles. yes. Some, some time ago, I probably should get it back for some stories, and she was telling us a story about somebody that basically had a channel cut through the, the, the living room floor of their apartment just so water could run through it while they were going through this, this process of trying to work out, well, where, where is it coming from, who's responsible, how are we going to deal with it? Like what a nightmare. <laughs> just it's mind-boggling <laughs> i shouldn't laugh it's actually not funny um <laughs> so amanda anything that we haven't sort of covered in these overarching um things so the other things on high on the list yeah look another one that i see come up from time to time and again it's a, it's a little bit of a technical one but it's a good tip for your listeners is to check what your unit entitlement is uh, now yes. we, we may have come across mentioned this term in our past chats but the the apartment that you're purchasing will have a, a number attached to it which is your unit entitlement and that's your proportion uh, it represents your proportion of the strata levies and it also represents your voting right on certain motions at meetings so Say a building of 10, it might have a, a total unit entitlement of 100 and then everybody's lot, to keep, a, to keep a simple example, everyone's lot has a unit entitlement of 10. So everyone's got equal voting rights, equal contributions to the levies. Often things are not that simple. Often 
larger apartments have higher unit entitlements. Maybe you might be buying one of only a few one bedrooms in the building. So you've got a lower unit entitlement. And so while you contribute less levies, you also have a lower voting right. And sometimes this, most often this doesn't matter, but I've been involved in cases where there is a, a maybe one particular owner that owns quite a lot of the larger apartments and they have been able to, to stack the vote at a meeting and block certain things from happening or they've been able to get their own agenda through simply by relying on that higher unit entitlement and being able to um, mm. be the decision maker for the entire community. And th those with the smaller holding can't get done what they need to get done. Now, this is something that should be quite clear on purchase. You see it on the title. You see it on the common property title, what the unit entitlement is, and you can see on the strata roll who owns the other lots and whether there is um, mm. a block forming. So something to look <laughs> at. So, yeah, the, just for anyone in New South Wales, the, the title search is in the contract and you can see it listed out there. And likewise, when you get the strata roll, if you get the strata roll in your strata report, <laughs> you can have a look through and then you can work out who owns what. Um, and that is interesting too because it quite often are um, family, sort of families yeah. that might own a bunch of uh, properties in one apartment building as well. If they don't have the same surname, you're not necessarily going to pick that up, but you'll find out soon enough. I remember the first time we interviewed you, Amanda, you said one of your tips was actually just to hang up, loiter around in the corridor and just talk to residents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If I let you, yeah, <laughs> make friends. I've done that. <laughs> Have a nice little chat with someone who happens to be in the corridor out outside in the garden or whatever, and they, they will. You get a sense if they like living there or not. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Often you've always got sticky beakers in the open for inspections. You'll soon find out which ones are the neighbours. Yeah, and in that vein, on a different. Have you got a uh, property dumbbell of the week you can share with us? A story. I do. Yes, I do. At risk of opening up a, a, another yep. podcast conversation, uh, <laughs> I want to talk about electric vehicle charging Ooh. in apartments because this is a story of a young man who had an electric vehicle, yep. very environmentally conscious and, and often young people who can afford these electric vehicles are, uh, and also then was able to purchase his first apartment. So he's got his uh, EV, purchased his apartment, turns up to his garage and realises, oh, crap, how am I going to charge my electric vehicle? Yeah. And after a couple of weeks of running extension cords over the balcony <laughs> and try to plug in the vehicle through the visitor parking, uh, he finally and sensibly made an application to the owner's corporation for approval to install his own charger for his electric vehicle. However, and this is where the Dumbo bit comes in, when the owners corporation would not approve the installation of this equipment, then he decided he had there was nothing more he could do. He moved out and went and lived somewhere else and <laughs> rented his apartment to somebody else. Now, I say that's a pretty dumb move because if you understood your rights, and this is really important as this becomes um much more common, our electric vehicles and yep. the push for everyone to have electric vehicles in this country. Uh, you do have a right to have your, to be able to charge your vehicle in your home. And if you have proposed a, a bylaw, which makes very clear that the infrastructure you're going to install on the common property 
is your infrastructure. You will repair it. You will maintain it. You will pay for it and you will pay the electricity, electricity costs associated with that. Then the owners corporation can't unreasonably refuse your mm. application. So please, anybody who is discounting strata living, apartment living, or who is coming up against um, a difficult owners corporation or committee when it comes to electric vehicle charging, please understand that the, the law is on your side. The political zeitgeist at the moment is on your side. There is government funding, at least I know in New South Wales, um, going towards not just electric vehicle charging, but putting this infrastructure into apartment buildings as well, yeah, dedicated yeah. funding. Um, and this is, it's been a topic of conversation for some time. It's going to keep becoming a bigger topic of conversation because we, we must get apartment residents on board to reach these EV targets. Really interesting. And one thing I have been wondering about, and perhaps, you know, you've come across this, how many buildings are, are getting together and saying, right, well, we want to create a solar farm yeah. on our roof? And, and, and I'm wondering if anyone's doing it and actually in, um, involving the surrounding houses and maybe all, all actually getting in together to create their own little power station. Is, is that happening? I'm not aware of that happening. What I am aware of is um, how slow the uptake of solar has been in our residential apartment buildings mm. full stop to be in, wow. in terms of powering the common areas and in terms mm. of owners getting solar power to their own lots. Um, this years ago, this was touted as the, this was the way to go. This, you know, Australians have been quite good at picking up the solar on freestanding homes when we mm. look um, yep. worldwide, but our residential apartment buildings have really been lagging. And a big wow. part of that is this is the approval process to mm. that people need to go through. And that's why last year we had new law in New South Wales that lowered the threshold of approval for any what we call sustainability infrastructure. That's solar wow. panels, that's EV charging, that's LED yeah. lighting, mm. that any of that stuff, the approval threshold has been lowered to what is essentially a majority vote. If you can get the majority vote, you're in, whereas it used to be a 75% vote in order to have that kind of infrastructure. So our government's been working really hard to try and pick up some speed here with our residential apartment buildings. I would have thought it was a bit of a no-brainer, you know. Mm. In, uh, you've got a route. I mean, I've got a problem here. I've actually wired my house for solar and then been told that because I've got tree on either side of me that it's not practical to put solar panels on my roof. It's really annoying. And there's a there's a unit block sort of diagonally behind me and I thought, <laughs> thinking, I'm going to knock on their door and say, how about we all collaborate with all the, all the uh, uh, houses around? But also because a unit rooftop is a lot higher than a house rooftop so it's very rare that you get a tree overhanging a unit rooftop it's just um it's just beautiful opportunity to put solar panels i would think absolutely often flat roofs often lots of space um mm. so the difficult has been been funding as well and and you have once again it's a democratic process you have all these mm. differing points of view yeah. and you, you do have to have a meeting and you do have to have some level of approval there has to be funding uh ev charging we're finding is more difficult at the moment to get across the line than solar just because it's new and it is yeah. more expensive and we don't necessarily have the finance options that you have with solar um, but it is absolutely the way of the future and what I try to tell communities who are grappling with this in, particularly in the context of EV is you don't know how many purchases mm. how many tenants are completely disregarding your building 
be, and not even coming to you on open for inspection because they know you don't have EV charging capability and they're going to the building down the road. It does. And mm. It does. And that is going to become more and more common. And as an investor, that's something that I'm very concerned to, to deal with so we don't fall behind. Do you think that What's we could get space? to a point where we legislate things like this, you know, legislate fire alarms, you legislate that solar has to be installed um, unless there's a reason why you cannot, for example. Um, and, you know, and then there's a funding option that the government provides to do that or, you know, or a finance option or something like that. Do you think we could get to that sort of stage with this or is there anything else in pipeline where these sort of things are going to happen? Yeah, so as of next year, I believe, I haven't seen the legislation yep. myself yet, but I've heard a couple of people mention it. As of next year, we will have legislation that all new apartment buildings must be wired for EV. Yeah, okay. yeah. So that's something. Um, I'm not sure where solar fits into that, but um, definitely that's the direction that we're heading in for new buildings. For new buildings, they've sort of solved that problem and they've got a process that maybe then they, they start to solve the other 10 million dwellings out there that have um, also <laughs> uh, part of the problem. So um, awesome. Thanks so much for coming on today, Amanda. Um, was there any other final points on the on the report that we, what we missed or is, uh, have we covered it all? I think we have covered all we can today. Um, I, as I said, I do want to finish up by saying I, I love the lifestyle. I, I love the community. <laughs> I don't want to turn anybody off apartment living, but my message is always that becoming a more informed apartment owner, hopefully before you even go in, is the fastest way to more peaceful and more profitable apartment living. <laughs> Well, we're all for informing people. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Amanda. It's always good to see you and always lovely to have a chat. Always learn so much. Awesome. Pleasure. So Thank much, you very Amanda. much for having Cheers. me. Cheers. Bye. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo. Woo!